Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of No Names All Game. Today is October 21st. It is 7.29 p.m. and Michigan still sucks. My name is Chris. I'm coming to you from New York. Joined by my co-host Pat out in Los Angeles. And your Nittany Lions are now 7-0 after a slightly terrifying but quality win against a good Michigan team at home at the whiteout. Pat, how the hell are you feeling? Um, overall, feeling great. I... Definitely could feel slightly better about, about how the way the game went. But a win is a win, and you can't get too upset with it. Man, it's funny. I feel like every week we find something new to complain about. We are 7-0. and We are number six in the AP poll in the country. We are clearly exceeding most expectations even we had for ourselves coming in the year. You know, we talked about how this is a young team. You know, a lot of people think at 8-4. and four. We're thinking 9-3, and three, maybe 10-2 and two is a stretch. And... We're sitting here undefeated, so there will definitely be some some negativity in this podcast, and and we'll, we'll call it constructive criticism. But yeah, all in all, we're we're seven and zero, and that's that's a big win at home against. Yes, we'll we'll trash them a ton, but they they played a really good game, uh, and and overall we come away with the win. So lots to talk about. Um, I was actually at the game. That is why my voice is still pretty shot. So to all the listeners, I apologize. Um, but it was uh, it was pretty incredible atmosphere there. So. Um, let's get into some of our quick hitters, and then we'll we'll start talking about the game. We'll talk about the atmosphere. Talk about everything that was going on. Quick hitters, NFL um, guys continue to do good things in the NFL for Penn State. A couple highlights this week: um, Saquon is back after his uh, his injury. Always love to see that. Pretty solid day for him. 18, 18 rushes, seventy two yards, and a touchdown. Kind of a, a slow day for Saquon, but happy to see him back on the field. Yeah, for a regular man, that's a good day. Right. <laughs> uh, Troy Apke gets a big interception for the Washington Redskins uh, and a nice return after the red, uh, after the interception too. So that was kind of fun to see uh, plus six tackles for him. So he's, he's getting, getting some reps on a uh, pretty bad Redskins team. So you love to see that. Uh, my favorite one from the entire weekend. Did you see the Nick Scott reception on the fake punt? How could I miss it? It was all over Twitter. <laughs> It was amazing. Uh, so the Rams, the Rams go for a fake punt. Johnny Hecker, uh, he's he's a weapon as a punter. He can throw it. They do that. They do this. I, I would I would guess much more often than the average team fake punts where he's just throwing them up. Uh, but hit, hits Nick Scott on a little short out route. And he takes it and he has a nice run after the catch. Throws a little stiff arm, going back to his old running back days. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and I thought it was pretty awesome how the uh, announcers actually shouted out that he originally was a running back. At Penn State. Yeah, it, it took them a minute. They 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 said it was like two other guys before they finally got to him. They like named one guy, and then the other guy was like, "No, no, no, that's not him. Oh, that's uh, that's that's Reynolds, Josh Reynolds. No, 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 it's Nick Scott." So like, it took them a while, but finally, once they got there, yeah, they they called that out. So that was pretty cool. Uh, Alan Robinson uh, continues to have quietly a good season. Uh, 10, 10 catches, eighty seven yards, and a touchdown. Um, just on a bad Bears team. He's like, he went from a bad A bad Bears offense. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Their defense was really good. Um, he went from Jacksonville with a, a pretty bad offense to a Bears team with a bad offense. I feel like if he had a good quarterback, like he could be a top receiver in the league. For sure. Uh, and then rounding it out, Mike Kosicki, not a wild day, but he had four catches for 41 yards. I just wanted to give him a shout out on that miserable Dolphins team. There's not going to be a lot of highlights, so good for you, Big Mike. Yeah. Plus, I mean, for a second-year player, you know, most second-year guys, if they're not first-round draft picks, are making very little impact on the offense. 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, so good to see our guys going, um, you know, doing things in the NFL as usual. Uh, a couple of other quick hitters. Uh, Dave Portnoy, founder uh, and president of uh, Bar to- Barstool Sports. Uh, you might have seen his controversy a couple weeks ago. Not controversy, but a little bit of an online argument with the dean of our communication school, I believe. Uh, she said some not-so-nice things about Barstool. He said, if that's how you feel, debate me. Let's talk about it because those things aren't true, so let's debate. And if you debate me, I'll donate $20,000 to Thon. She has not responded, uh, which you could probably imagine. Uh, but they were actually on campus this weekend. I actually met Portnoy. Uh, we were walking along Beaver Ave, and he was just chilling in a car. There was like a, there was a group of like 12 dudes hovered around. I was like, oh, I wonder what that is. And then my little brother goes, yo. That's Prez. That's Portnoy. It's like we, the, the 12 dudes walked away and we stopped and got a quick picture, which was awesome. Uh, but they did their, their college football show and uh, they had someone from the communications school, a student that actually reached out to the dean on their behalf, trying to set up the, um, you know, the debate. And, and she's, they loved how she went about it. She was very, like, very professional, very cordial. Um, the dean never answered her either, but Barstool brought her out to their show to talk about it a little bit. And they surprised them with a big twenty thousand dollar check for Thon, which I thought was awesome. Yeah, I mean, donating to Thon in general is something we can all get on board with. Um, and you know, the the Barstool guys, I'm not like a gigantic Barstool fan. Uh, there's definitely times where where, uh, but like at the end of the day, they mostly seem to do the right thing. You know, stuff like this where they offer twenty thousand dollars for a debate, don't get an answer, and still donate it, like. You know, you can't yeah. really argue with, with that. Yeah, exactly, because that, that was a lot of the backlash that they got. It was like, a, oh, that's an empty threat, or an empty promise, rather, not a threat. Empty promise, because you know she's never going to debate you. So I thought it was cool to see them follow through. And yeah, 20000 for Thon, regardless of the situation, always a good thing. Um, speaking about Thon, something near and dear to our hearts, something else that, that came up that is uh, you know close to our hearts. I don't know if you watched College Game Day. Um, we were there uh, on the lawn. They ran a piece on Yitor Grossmatos and his family life. Man, if you haven't heard of this story before, if you haven't seen it, check out the piece. Uh, I read I read a story, ESPN did a story a couple, maybe last year on it. Um, but basically, it's a story about how he lost his father when he was very, very young, I think two years old. Um, they were on a, a, a boating trip, and uh, I think he fell into the water. His father jumped in to save him, and his father ended up passing away. Uh, and then when he was a bit older, uh, he lost his, his brother, who he was super, super close with. Um, they were at a baseball game, and his brother got struck by lightning. Um, super, super heavy piece to run. I mean, everyone that was standing on that lawn, you could just feel, like, the silence around you. I mean, there were definitely some, some you know, some tears in the audience, myself included. But, man, it gives you just such a such an inside look into, like, who he is as a person and, like, what drives him and what what he's all about. Like, you know, we talk about him as a monster on the football field and how much we love him for that. But this just, I mean, it gives you a whole new level of respect. Yeah. And I mean, you know, those are two things that to a lot of people can either just like ruin you or turn you into an absolute monster as a person. And he's, you know, he's neither ruined nor a monster. He's a, seems to be a great guy. Yeah. And it just goes to show you like what incredible strength of character he has apart from being an incredible athlete. Yeah, absolutely, and it was cool too. Uh, uh, you know, the game day game day tweeted that video clip, and a lot of the Penn State players retweeting it, saying like, you know, love my brother would go to war for you, or proud to, proud to call you my brother, play side by side with you every day. So you can just see like how real that is. Um, you know, a lot of times we sit here and we talk about the football aspect of it, and we lose sight of 
you know, these are people with, with real stories. And this one is, is definitely one of, uh, one of the more deep ones. And, I, and I'm happy it got shared. You know, it was, it was cool to hear from him and his mom and, um, you know, his, his, his stepdad. So, um, shout out to you, Tor. You are, you're, you're just a man. We, we love you. Yeah. Just a, another example of a guy who I'm so proud to have represent a university that I went to. Yes. hundred percent. Um, all right, let's jump into a couple of game things here for quick hitters. Uh, recruiting roundups. We actually got this as feedback in one of our uh, iTunes reviews. Shameless plug. If you like us, drop a review on iTunes. It helps. Uh, but one of the one of the reviews asked us to do a little bit more about recruiting. So real quick, um, this is always the biggest recruiting weekend of the year of the season. Uh, you know, the whiteout. It's the most electric electrifying atmosphere in all of college football. Of course, you want your top recruits there. Um, so the report is. Did you see how many recruits were there? Um, I saw it because you told me. <laughs> Damn it. You gotta stop looking. I gotta stop sending you the notes. All right. I'm gonna start. You know what I need to do? I just need to start hiding the things that I'm going to ask you trivia questions uh, about. Right. But anyway, they reported approximately 175 recruits on campus. That's insane. I didn't even know, like, that was a number. I didn't know there was a number of recruits that existed. Right? And I mean, that, span, <laughs> that spans over... 2020 kids, yeah. 2021, 2022, current commits, probably probably some that would be walk-ons, maybe not scholarship recruits, but still, to host 175 kids and 175 families is insane. Um, some things to highlight for the 2020 class, uh, 15 of our current commits made it out, which is always good to see, uh, so they were there. Top targets for the 2020 class, Theo Johnson, who's a top tight end in the country, he's typically the number two or three, depending on the service, he's there. This is now at least the third time that he's seen us this year. He was at the Buffalo game because his brother plays for Buffalo. I believe he was at the Iowa game in Iowa, so that's awesome. And now he was here at the Whiteout. If we don't land this kid, I don't know what more we can yeah. do. But, Good sign. Yeah, so he was there, which is great. Uh, and then R.J. Adams, who was an offensive lineman that recently decommitted, was back on campus. Um, and he actually tweeted, had a great time at Happy Valley. Uh so this one is interesting for me because I, I dug into this a little bit um, on 24-7 Sports. I have a have a VIP um, account. It's not, not a big deal. I pay for content. I'm a pretty big baller. <laughs> but there was, there was stories going around about how – you remember people talked about how Franklin doesn't like kids uh, looking elsewhere, and, and he might pull their scholarship if that's the case. One of like the top writers at 24-7 kind of like inferred that, that, hey, this wasn't his decision to leave. He started looking around, and they said, well – Maybe we don't have room for you. So it kind of, him being back on campus now, and I think he was actually back for one of the other games too, kind of makes it look like, hey, he actually really does want to be here. Yes, he was weighing his options, but it looks like he wants to be here. If you're Penn State, he's a, you know, solid offensive line recruit. Like, what are we waiting for? I don't quite get yeah. it. I, I, I guess it's one of those things where if you have a policy, you can't make exceptions for one kid. Yeah, um, that that you know that's a great way to start ruining a program when you start making exceptions for certain people. Um, so maybe they they just want him to be sure before. Yeah, yeah. You know, before it goes down. Um, yeah, and it is it is getting to be a space thing. We are getting down to in the twenty twenty class. There's probably only a handful of slots left, uh, and obviously you are looking at some top guys like Theo Johnson. So. Um, I hope R.J. Adams comes back. From everything I've read on him and everything I've seen, he seems like a really good kid uh, and is a is a solid offensive line prospect. So hopefully he'll come back into the fold. Uh, the 2021 class, we had a ton of people there. 
uh, highlighted by two top offensive linemen, uh, Nolan Rucci. He is the number one player in Pennsylvania. He's a five-star. He's like a 98 overall, like very talented kid offensive line. He was on campus, so you got to love that. Uh, and then Landon Tengwall, who is a four-star, but he'll be a five-star. He's like very borderline, um, another offensive lineman. So you got two of the best offensive linemen in the country for next year on campus. I want to land to both of these kids. Like, start getting that momentum going. Oh, you right don't say. Line. <laughs> is that a hot take? <laughs> I want the best prospects. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Nolan Rucci, he is, like I said, he's, you know, the number one player in Pennsylvania. He's going to get a lot of love. Um, Landon, I actually kind of expected a commitment from him this weekend. And we'll get to some commitments in a second here. Uh, he likes and tweets about Penn State-related things a lot. Um Maybe that's just like his flavor of the month. That's what he's feeling. But he likes like a lot of things on Twitter. And in this world, that's as as big a news as you can get. Yeah. And I dig it. Yeah. So hopefully those two guys are coming. Like I said, there were literally hundreds of other prospects. I'm not going to name them all, but a lot of people on campus. Um, The weekend did result in two commitments, though. Not sure if you've seen this. Not sure if you heard about this. Uh, So we landed a commitment from Nate Bruce uh, and also Liam Clifford. Have you heard of that last name before, Clifford? I have. There is heard of that high school he went to as well. What's that? So I heard of that high school he went to as well. Yeah, right? Uh, crazy. Two Cliffords from the same town, same high school. Uh, but yes, Sean Clifford's younger brother, he is uh, listed as a three-star athlete. Projects as a wide receiver. Um, apparently he has got incredible speed. He looks very tiny. <laughs> and I know it's, it's two years away from college. He'll put on some weight, but he's like so thin dude. Um but that'll be cool. You saw uh, you saw Sean tweeting about it. You know how happy he was, and if if Sean stays for his full eligibility for all three years, they actually would have one year of overlap, which would be kind of cool to play on the same team. That'd be very cool. And yeah, the other thing, you know, he might be small, but like and two years away from college. But let me tell you, like Penn State's strength and conditioning program is incredible. Even like I, I think it was Kirk Herbstreit was talking about how good they are. Because uh, he was talking about Sean, actually, mm-hmm. how when he first came to Penn State, he was running like a four seven, and they got him down to a four five, and just how good Penn State is at making like our athletes even better. Yeah, I agree, and I mean that difference for a quarterback is funny. There was a there was a clip of KJ talking about that too. There's some piece that they're doing on Penn State, and KJ was talking about just his friendship with Clifford. He's like, yeah, man, remember when he was slow as dirt? He was running like a four eight. But now he's down to like four or fives. He's actually, you know, actually agile. Um, and, and that is a huge difference for a quarterback. That makes the difference between being a running quarterback and not. Um, so, yeah, I, I, have no, I have no doubt that Liam Clifford will be just fine when he gets here. But that was really cool to get him on board. Um, like I said, Nate Bruce is a three-star offensive guard from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So, um, yeah, excited for that. The 2020 class is getting built up. Now that's the uh, – that is the third – uh, or I'm sorry, that brings the class to three commits. Um, we have one other guy in that class as well. So that's it for recruiting right now. Um, some more things to come, obviously, but uh, a little bit slow right now. You'll see you'll see this 2020 class round out in the next couple months. All right, last of the quick hitters, and then we'll jump in here. Uh, I mentioned earlier, but we are up to number six in the AP poll, jumping that other Big Ten team that lost. I'm sure they'll they'll be featured in a section later of Bozos, so we'll hold off on them. Um, but yeah, it's exciting. AP poll number six, uh, still a lot of questions and we'll get to some of that later. Um, but one thing I have seen coming in is the heavy, heavy predictions of Penn State to the Rose Bowl. What are your feelings on that? 
Um, I'm very much in favor of this, despite the fact that it would mean that we don't make the college football playoffs. Right. If we don't, that would be a great consolation prize for me, living so close to the Rose Bowl. I've never seen Penn State play in a bowl game. You better believe I will not miss that one. That would be awesome. Yeah, I, uh, as I see these predictions come out, I'm like, damn, maybe I should have waited a little bit longer to leave L.A. <laughs> but I actually have seen Penn State in a couple of bowl games, and I've seen them in the Rose Bowl, uh, that epic epic game against USC, uh, when unfortunately we lost to, to Sam Darnold and co. Um, but it, it was just an incredible atmosphere. And, yeah, I agree. If, if we're not in the playoff, which, let's be real, is still a very difficult road to go through, um, that's, for, for all things considered, again, you know, a lot of people had us at, eight and four, nine and three, we finish this year, you know, pretty close to top of the big 10 and, and get to the Rose bowl. That's a pretty good, pretty good season. Yeah. I mean, we're one win away from our, our, uh, over under from Vegas was eight and a half, right? I believe so. Yeah. We're, we're two games away from topping that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is again, it's, and we played Rutgers. So that's <laughs> right. looking pretty, Depends pretty promising. Right? You, 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 <laughs> listen, you can never count your chickens before you hatch. Except when it's Rutgers. <laughs> yeah. You can count at least one chicken. Yes, that's the one. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see. Obviously, you know, our, our hope is we continue to roll, we win out, we go to the college football playoff, win a national championship, but keep you in line with what the experts are predicting. That's what's been happening lately. Um, Whiteout. So let's get into that. It was uh, it was an electric atmosphere. I uh, Like I said, I'm still recovering. My voice is still a little shot. Uh, it's the first game I've been to in... I think four years, and I went to the striped out against Rutgers was my last one. So while still a great atmosphere, very different. Uh, and it was just awesome. Uh, the attendance came out to 110,669. Nice. Uh, fourth highest in whiteout history or in Beaver Stadium history, which is crazy that that's only four. Yeah, I mean, also, I thought the capacity of Beaver Stadium was like 107,000 people. Yeah, they keep adding, like, temporary sections that allow it just to get more and more. Like, it's probably not safe, but they've, over the over the last couple of years, I think that's how they continue to get higher and higher. Um, okay, I like it. Yeah, because you remember, the, the hashtag is, like, 107K strong, but we yeah. keep getting up to, like, 111, so some sneaky stuff. Um, but, yeah, they, it was it was as loud as I've ever heard it. Um, I, if, if I think of them remembering correctly, I haven't watched the full game back. Did they call a timeout before their first play, Michigan? They did indeed. They did. That was amazing. Like, I remember and had a couple of adult beverages, so, you know, a little fuzzy. But I remember the crowd just being incredibly loud. And then we were kind of looking around. We're like, did they just call a timeout? <laughs> I couldn't remember if it was the first play of the second series. So that was amazing. Um, the goodbye chant at the end, the blue band starts playing. Na, 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 na. That was so. amazing. Apparently, and this is tweeted out by Greg Drain, uh, the conductor of the Blue Band. They were playing a different song. It just sounds like that song. So the student section started singing it. And he said as as soon as they realized what was happening, they immediately stopped playing. That is the best cover-up I've ever heard because they knew exactly (laughs) what they were doing. Um, What what song are they claiming to play? Hold on. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. Okay, while you're looking up, I'll keep keep talking because that's it was it was amazing. Like as soon as the because it took a little bit for people to catch on, so I'm sure the student section started it. I was sitting a couple sections over. I was on maybe the 20 yard line or so, um, but as soon as we started hearing it, the entire crowd started getting into it, um, and you could just hear like once the band did fade out. Because now that you say that, yeah, that is funny. Once the band faded out, 
it's just the entire stadium singing a cappella. Na 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 na, hey hey hey, goodbye. And it was just, it was beautiful. I loved it. Um, do you have what song he thought or he said that they were playing? Um, I'm having trouble finding it. Hold on. All right. Well, here nor there. Um, I'm going to go ahead and believe that they knew exactly what they were doing. And this is the politically correct cover up. And I'm all for that. I'm all for that. Uh, a couple other things. There was a bleacher that was ripped off of uh, the stadium. So we look over and, and in the student section, there's just they're holding up a bleacher. Um, I don't know if that was just from stomping on it, from going crazy, but I have never seen that before. So I thought that was pretty cool as well. I have seen it once before. Really? And it was it was actually at a Purdue game. And That's one of the bleachers, like two rows, two rows in front of us broke. And yeah, we all picked it up. Like, you know, yep. shoulder pressed it for a little while. And then just... Oh, that's not good. I'm losing you a little bit, so I'm turning my video off. Can you still hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can still hear you. All right. Uh, sorry for the audio quality if everyone's listening. Um, but yeah, it was it was an incredible atmosphere. Um, one of the best I've ever seen live and, and obviously played a big part. So let's get into the actual game stuff here. Um, we'll start with our awards as usual, and we'll go through offense, defense, and special teams. So let's start with our Big Ten awards. Big Ten Baller and Bozo of the Week. Pat, who's your big... Ten baller of the week. My Big Ten baller is James McCourt. I don't even know who that is. Please tell us. That is the kicker from Illinois. Oh, I love it. He misses a field goal early in the game, but then comes out and drills the game winner to beat Wisconsin. I mean, you got to be impressed by that. Yeah. Um, I mean, that game in general is just crazy. Like, I mean, Wisconsin – for being, you know, the best scoring defense in the country. They started collapsing a little bit. And then, yeah, Illinois just made some plays, man. They, they came to win and just shows you anything can happen in college football. So shout out to that kicker whose name I've already forgot. Yes, same. All right, my Big Ten baller. Um, going away from some of the usual suspects. Uh, this one is actually going to go to someone on a losing team, but it's David Bell from Purdue. Um, 13 receptions, 197 yards, and a touchdown. He is a freshman, and he is playing so well for that team. Um, we saw it against us. I think they only had you know, maybe two big completions, but there was that one big completion they had over the middle against us, and it was to David Bell. He is um, he's becoming a really nice piece for them. Obviously, you know they've, they've gone through some of their injury stuff. They were without Rondell Moore for a bit. Um, I really like this kid. He's someone that Penn State recruited pretty heavily, um, you know, a few years ago. Didn't didn't turn out well for us, but really happy for for him and and to see him doing well. Unfortunately, Purdue lost to Iowa, twenty six twenty, which is a lot closer than I expected it to be. Um, but yeah. David Bell, you're a baller, man. All right, let's go to Bozo. Who is your Big Ten Bozo of the week? My Big Ten Bozo is Jim Harbaugh. Got him. Got him. Yeah. Uh, not only a fucking loser. <laughs> but then in the post-game press conference, he starts complaining about the refereeing. Oh, uh, wow. And doesn't even give, like, the usual, you know, like, I'm not the guy to say the ref refs cost us the game. Didn't even say that. He just complained about the refs and was saying that, like, he'd be interested to take a look to see how much that benefit, like, like how much the benefit was for us. Jeez, Basically, that inferring that the, that the refs gave us the game. I don't know about that. Um, 
and I mean, I'm trying, I'm trying to take this as yeah. impartial as I can because you know I was the guy talking about the refs last week. Um, okay, you look at the you look at the stats. They had eight for forty eight. We had five for fifty eight. So based on yards alone, we had more. But I think I think I did see a tweet that they maybe had some that were in you know crucial moments. But I don't know, man. I don't like that. Well, in the first half, Penn State got a couple of calls. Uh, you had the Pat Frymouth touchdown where he gets away with a bit of a push off, mm-hmm. and I mean it's a penalty that it's almost never called on receivers to be honest. Like what he did exactly, it's it, it's going to get called. Like a de- if a defensive back did the same exact thing, it'll get called like ninety percent of the time, but almost never gets called on receivers. And then I think it might have been the very next possession on third down. John Reed comes in a little early and knocks knocks the ball out of a Michigan receiver's hand, and there's yeah. a no call. Yeah, um, so I, I like there was some, you know, there were some calls that went Penn State's way, especially in the first half. But in the second half, like I don't think so at all. Not to mention their last touchdown is extremely questionable. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, we'll get to that in our in our defensive segment, but. Yeah, um, I don't know. The but, I mean, they got hit to the seven points they potentially didn't deserve at all. Right. So you really can't complain that much about the officiating if you're Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the the John Reed one I remembered, sure, that was a little early. The Fryermuth one, I, 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 I the same conversation we had last week when, when you uh, started your free the DB movement with the, uh, yes. the Iowa guy going up. I, I just don't see it on that. Like, in both cases, I didn't. I went back and I watched. I didn't see a push from the Iowa guy. There's a slight tug on the shoulder. Shout out to Brandon Beal and Tony Black. We had a lengthy discussion on this one after after they listened to the show. Um, I, I didn't see it on that one. I didn't see it on Pat, and I'm okay with that. Um, he basically but, just extended his arm. Yeah, and it, like you it, said, it it's did, not going to get called. Yeah, it, it almost never gets called on receivers. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm okay with all of that. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, you're a bozo. Um, all right, my bozo. I thought you were going to go with Wisconsin, so let's just give them a, a – uh, podcast wide year bozo for losing to an unranked team in illinois that's i don't know i kind of love that they lost yeah i mean they're just still they're still bozos for losing (laughs) (laughs) but my big 10 bozo goes to tyrell pigrome quarterback from maryland um decent day actually 17 for 27 210 yards two touchdowns not great but not awful um problem is they're down 34 28 uh, about a minute, a little over a minute left in the game. And they have a chance to drive and win. Uh, he steps up in the pocket, has receivers downfield, and just absolutely sails one uh, into an interception that ends the game. Um, it was a, it was a, I mean, it would have been a difficult throw anyway because he would have had to hit a receiver like perfectly in the middle of two or three different defenders that were semi in the area. So he probably just shouldn't have thrown it anyway. Um, but he missed by a country mile uh, interception, and, and they go down. They had a chance to win. So, Tyrell Pigrum, you're a bozo. That's a bozo move. It is. It's a bozo move. Um, quickly to our betting picks for this game. Um, so we both lose on the spread. Uh, we both were, were confident that it was going to cover eight and a half, nine, ten, whatever it was. Um, I actually bet I, I actually did bet a lot of money on this game, and I'm very upset I lost it. Um, but I bet a couple hours before kickoff, and I actually got them at minus eight, so it lost. I, I lost by so little. But we both lose on the spread. Uh, however, I, I do gain a little ground here. Um, I hit on the over. You and your unders have finally lost one. How do you feel about that? 
I feel betrayed. Uh, <laughs> betrayed by the under. Betrayed by Penn State taking their foot off the gas pedal, allowing the defense to soften up, and Michigan to score points. I stand by my bet. <laughs> um, I'm just happy. I'm just so happy the over finally hit. Uh, I have to go back and actually do the math. I say this every episode, but I haven't. I think you're at eight and six, and I'm at six and eight, so you're still ahead. Because um, I lost, I lost ground on last week's. So I think I get a little bit back, so you're still ahead. Um, but we got what five games left. Um, I'm gonna just uh-huh. start pulling out some some magic to to win this one because uh, most of our bets are gonna be the same every damn week. Yeah, <laughs> one of them will be. All right. So that being said, let's jump into this game: Penn State Whiteout Lion and your Lamb. This is your most valuable player, your least valuable player. Who is your Lion? Gotta go with Micah Parsons. Fourteen tackles on the day. He was everywhere. He was making reads so quick. Michigan couldn't stop him. And, and as usual, he's doing so many things that don't show up on the stat sheet where he's blowing up plays. He's taking up blockers that nor- like earlier than they normally would like to, making room for other guys to come in and make plays. He was unbelievable. Yeah, um, I agree. He was going to be mine as well. I have another option, of course, but I think that's an excellent pick. This guy is just... He is everything that you hope a five-star prospect lives up to. Because a lot of these guys come in, five-star, super athletic in high school, just overpowering everyone else. And you kind of worry about how they're going to translate. We saw it last year as a true freshman when he led the team in tackles. And he has taken it to even another level this year of being like a fully dominant linebacker. Um, Which is crazy when you think that he was a D-end in high school. You know, like he's learning this position. Um, a tweet from Chris Peterson. I'll have a bunch of these uh, throughout the episode. But Chris Peterson, if you don't follow her on Twitter, she's the Associate Athletic Director of Strategic Communications. So she does everything for like Franklin's press conferences, the players' press conferences. And she always just has awesome stats afterwards, um, after every game. So she tweeted, Micah Parsons recorded 14 tackles, tying his career high set, set last year versus Kentucky in the Citrus Bowl. 14 tackles marked his third game with at least 10. And this one, this is my favorite stat. I think out of anything we're going to talk about this whole episode, eight of Parsons' 14 tackles held Michigan to one or less yard. That's impressive. That's eight tackles for one or less. And like you said, that's not necessarily going to show up in stat sheets for tackle for lost or for sacks, right? But that's going to just change a game. I mean, this kid is just the real deal. There's no other way to say it. Yeah, I mean, that's really just – that changes a game. It, it's not like that often these days that you see a linebacker changing the game that much. Yeah, and I think I think something else that's really showing up is his speed. Um, there's been a lot of tweets that are, are kind of breaking down some of the film. I, like I said, I haven't really gone back and watched. But there are several plays where he is, like, very far away from the ball. Not that he's out of position, but he's like he's – you know, the play is running away from him. And he covers so much ground so quickly to make those drops where like a quarterback is scrambling and thinks he has daylight. Nope. Mike is going to hit you one yard after the line of scrimmage. Like I, I just, I can, I can say so much about this kid, but I'll wrap it up there. Uh, Mike Parsons, you are a lion for this week. Um, all right. My, my lion, uh, this one I think is pretty obvious, but it's KJ Hamler. Um, he's, I mean, he continues just to be incredible. Like uh, I think he got big 10 uh, offensive player of the week. He finishes, uh, six receptions, 108 yards, 
two touchdowns, two big touchdowns, his longest was uh, that 53-yarder in the second half. And he also had the crucial run uh, third down conversion to end the game, ice the game. Um, it, it just shows you it shows you how much Clifford trusts him, Franklin trusts him, Ronnie trusts him. And we'll talk a little bit later about kind of you know the makeup of the entire offense. But he is he's the lifeblood of the offense. When he when he's moving, we're moving. Um, you know when things aren't working, you know those long balls aren't aren't landing as much. So love to see him have a big game. Love to see him catch some of those deep balls that we know he's capable of. Um, and yeah, KJ Hamler, you are a lion. What'd you think about KJ? Oh, I mean, yeah, he was incredible. He, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there, there's no words to describe how valuable KJ Hamler was to this team on Saturday. I know I talk a lot, but feel free to comment on my shit and tell me to stop rambling. No, no, I like it. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is his fourth career 100-yard game. And he now has a catch in all 20 games that he's played. Um, so yeah, KJ, you are you're my lion. Uh, there was a, there was a clip after the game. Maria Taylor on ESPN was interviewing uh, KJ, and Clifford like runs up and they they kind of do like a dual interview, and it was just awesome. You know, we we've, we've talked about their relationship. They've known each other since middle school. Uh, Cliff is actually the reason why KJ came to Penn State um, because they built that friendship over the camp circuit and everything. Um, and and you can just see it. You know, Cliff. Uh, KJ was talking about how you know happy he was just to be able to get open and let Cliff throw him the ball. Cliff starts talking about how he's you know the most electric playmaker in the country, and you can just see the trust they have in each other, um, which is really really cool. So, Mike Parsons, KJ Hamler, you guys are lions. Flip side, Pat, who is your lamb for this week? Um, so I'm not entirely sure who to give this one to because I'm not sure who's responsible, but it's going to be a combination of James Franklin and Ricky Ronnie. Yeah. I have a feeling we're going to have the same one. Yeah, I mean, it's you, you can't get too upset uh, because we won the game. But it's the, the classic knock on really what has been Franklin's issue throughout his career at Penn State is he has trouble holding on to leads in big games. And, man, we almost fucking blew it again because uh, it seemed like we just didn't know. We, we couldn't keep the offense on the field. Like, we go up 21 to nothing. And all of a sudden, our offense just can't can't manage to get first downs or horrendous on third down. Uh, and, you know, some of it, of course, goes back to I the guys weren't executing as much as they needed to be. But you got to figure something out to be able to protect a 21-point lead at home during the whiteout. Yeah, I, uh, I completely agree. And I actually had the same thing. I had, I had Franklin, Ronnie. I actually... I almost even I almost even threw Cliff in there, which is like so hard to do when he has a, a yeah. three passing touchdown, one rushing touchdown game. But I felt the same way. But he, he made some decisions late in the game that, that weren't great. He missed some some passes, the deep ball to was it Dotson deep that he missed? Uh, I think he missed one to KJ, missed one to Fryer move over the middle on a third and ten. Um, but I, but I think the reason I take him and out even of the that, shorter passes. Uh, yeah, yeah. And he I think just, the reason sometimes he just sails them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the reason I take him out of it, um, yes, you have to execute. You absolutely have to execute. Uh, and and honestly, Cliff will be the key to this offense. Like if he's if he's able to execute on a lot of these, um, a lot of these, you know, third and ten situations that we find ourselves in. Um, if he's able to keep us out of these third and ten situations, and like I said, it's th that's part on Ronnie as well, or mostly on Ronnie as well. 
Um, but we do need to see Cliff grow a little bit. So I agree with you. I won't, I won't beat this horse to death because we have a ton of Twitter questions that are on this topic completely. Um, so our lamb of the week is going to go to Franklin and Ronnie for exactly that reason. Like you, you have to find ways to keep the pedal down. Not saying you need to score 50-yard touchdowns on every single play, but you need to find ways to keep your offense moving, to keep your defense off the field, and just put a defense, put another team to sleep. Like, And we just haven't seen that. So I'll tell you, I was shitting my pants in the stadium, man. Like I was sitting there as they're starting to come back. I was freaking out a little bit. So uh, let's talk about offense. How do you think I felt? I was in a bar surrounded by Michigan fans. Oh, geez. Why were you around Michigan fans? I mean, well, there was a lot of Penn State fans. I was at the parlor Uh, where there's a lot of both of those. Okay. Well, that was your first mistake. Uh, Groups. (laughs) This is upsetting me. Uh, all right, so let's let's go through the offense. Um, we're going to get back to that topic that you talked about in like probably 30 seconds because we've already covered most of the good. Um, so the good things about this offense, KJ is still incredible. We covered that. I don't have anything else more to say on that one. Um, Pat Fryermuth with a touchdown. I loved seeing that. You've heard me talk about all season how I want to see him more involved just because I think he is such an incredible threat. Uh, he has three catches for 28 yards and a touchdown. That puts him at 12 touchdowns for his career. Pat, if you do know this, pretend that you don't and take a guess. Do you know how the most ever by a Penn State tight end is? Um, I actually don't know this. Nice one. Good. You didn't read really it. Was it in your notes? It is, but don't look. I missed that one. Uh, 20. <laughs> most ever by the tight end is Mike Gasicki with 15. 15? Okay. I wasn't falling off. I figured it was Gasicki. Yep. yep. Okay. So, Pat, that puts him at 12. Obviously, he's going to demolish that record as he's only a true sophomore, so he'll be around for this season and all of next. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, the last two things I have here for, for good on the offense is fast start. We're up 21 uh, nothing midway through the second quarter. At that point, I was sitting there going, okay, this is going to be great. My prediction is going to come true. We're going to win a 45-16 to 16 kind of game. This is going to feel amazing. We're going to keep the pressure on. Obviously, that didn't happen, but you do love to see the fast start. So shout out to that. Uh, and then the last thing I have is zero turnovers. So no fumbles, no interceptions. Um, those are all good things about the offense. Yeah, I mean, one thing you got you can't knock Clifford for is he's not careless with the ball. Um, and we might talk about it later, but I think he's got to get a little bit better uh, just opening the field up to more people, Uh getting a little more consistent, but he doesn't turn the ball over. And for a guy that's first starting season, he'd love to see that. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's a lot. I'll talk on Cliff in a little bit here. But but from the positive, yes, very happy there are no turnovers. All right, so let's flip to, I'm not, I'm not going to call it the bad. We'll call it the questionable or the things that we want to get better. And again, for, for as much as we talk negatively about this team, one, it's because we know what the potential is of these playmakers. We know how good they could be, and we just want to see it all come together um, because we love this team. Questionable. Sputtering after a fast start. So we've seen this a couple times. We saw it at Purdue where we came off real hot and then sputtered. Um, we, we've seen just harsh portions of the game where we've gone completely cold. Um, so this one... Uh, you mentioned earlier about after taking that 21 nothing lead, how we kind of started to go a different direction. So after taking a 21 nothing lead, uh, Michigan scores, so it's 21-7. Let me read. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight drives um, after that after that point for the Penn State offense. How many of them do you think were punts? 
Um, I, so, I, I lost you for a second there. Can you repeat yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after the 21-7 lead, there's eight drives. Uh, let's call it seven because the eighth one is the end of the game. Let's call it seven drives. Out of those seven drives, how many of them do you think were punts? I believe six. You are correct, sir. So after, after, the, and that one wasn't even in my notes, so you couldn't cheat. Nice, nice job. This yeah, is I just have to remember that you know we only scored twenty eight points. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is what kills me about the offense because it's not just that we're punting. Listen to this rundown. This one comes from Ben Ferry Ferry on Twitter. First drive, three plays, punt. Then three plays, punt. Then four plays, punt. Then three plays, punt. Then three plays, punt. Then six plays, KJ touchdown. There was a huge, huge touchdown, 50-something yarders. Three plays, punt. Six plays, end of the game. So take out the end of the game and take out the, the KJ touchdown drive. Those six punts were all three yards with the ex or three plays with the exception of one being four plays. That's brutal. Yeah, I mean, that's totally unacceptable. It just it takes it takes the life out of a stadium. It takes the life out of a team. You're forcing your defense to go back out there and be incredible time and time and time and time again. And we'll get into the And defense you're tiring them out. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. Like you can't expect as good as our defense has been, you cannot expect them to just bail you out every single time. You go up twenty one. You can't expect awesome. them to get like four minutes of rest and then come back on. Right, right. So and deal with another prolonged drive. Yeah, my biggest thing is like I'm like when we went up twenty one nothing, I'm not expecting to score a touchdown every single time. Like what I want to see and what I know we can do and what we should do, um, you gotta have those drives where you're controlling the ball for minutes at a time, taking time off the clock, moving the chains so that even if you're not scoring a touchdown, you're a getting a field goal, continuing to get points on the board, or b getting really good field position with with a punt, going three and out over and over and over again. I mean, this is not rocket science. We're not football X's and O's experts. That's not a recipe for success against any team, let alone a Michigan team that honestly probably had one of their better offensive performances of the year. Yeah, I mean, this might have been Michigan's best game of the year. Yeah. Um, so that that in a in you know a high level is is my biggest problem with the offense. So let's look at some of the some of the concerning factors that that lead into that of maybe why we're stalling. Um, so the first thing, and, and we we you and I have talked about this. This is not a hot take. Everyone talks about this. Is the X receiver is completely non-existent. So that's Justin Shorter and or Daniel George, whoever's playing that position, is just gone. Like Cliff doesn't look that way. There are no targets, no receptions. Uh, Blackshoe Diaries had a whole article on it. I don't know how you fix this one, but this is so, so frustrating. Yeah, and I mean, this is part of, you know, this is one of the things that makes me less than ecstatic about Sean Clifford this season. Like, I love him because I think he's been, especially for a first-year starter, he's been great, and he's won every game he's played. Mm -hmm. you can't knock him for that like that that is so he's playing so high above i think most people's expectations especially basically everyone outside of penn state that you have to be extremely happy with his performance thus far but the fact of the matter is like he's just not spreading the ball around enough 
And when if you play great teams like in Ohio State or whoever we might play in a bowl game or potentially the college football playoff, you can't you can't have, you know, KJ Hamler gets six receptions and then everyone else gets one to three. It's mm-hmm. just not gonna work. Yeah, and like again, it's 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 something that of course you love to have that sort of X factor on offense. You love having a playmaker like playmaker like KJ and you want to get the ball in his hands. Like we're we're not trying to say take it away from him, but I think I think the the bigger problem for me is more that like it seems like Cliff looks that way, forces it that way when it's not there, or kind of falls apart in the pocket and ends up either scrambling or, or you know, getting sacked kind of thing. Because there, there are some times where he, Nick, we, we have our, our qualms with the O-lines, but there are times where he gets a little jittery there, and it almost looks like it's it's like he's not able to get through his progressions. Like he looks KJ's way, maybe to Dotson, and if that side of the field isn't there, like he just goes. Um, so we do have a bunch of Twitter questions that are all around the same topic, so I'll read them all off now, and then we can kind of keep keep going through this one. Um so Sweens, Sweet Eggs and Ham, uh, says, do you think we unleash KJ as a deep threat rest of the season and involve shorter tight ends, RBs, more in possession game? Um, do you want to go one by one or, you know, let's read all of them. Yeah, let's go one by one. Uh, so that, that was Sweens. Uh, Corver says, when are we going to see shorter? Is Ricky Ronnie actually a good play caller? Matthew Green says, do you think Ronnie is taking a bit too much criticism considering Cliff missed at least three open receivers downfield? Agree we need to run more effectively, but this week's game plan seemed to work. Thoughts? Um, Heather V says, where are Shorter and Kane? Been saving them for OSU? Question mark. Which I thought was actually the funniest way to ask it. I love that. Um, Ron Burgundy uh, says, why does Clifford not ever look at Shorter or Daniel George's side of the field? Is he just keying on Hammer the whole game? Are they just not getting open? There are many times Shorter was one-on-one. Um... I think that's all all of the questions regarding shorter in the passing game so general thoughts what's what's your take on some of those questions there um i don't think we're just going to unleash kj as a deep threat and then keep everyone else's possession receivers uh i it hasn't been what we've done and i don't see us changing course that much uh, uh considering we've won every game and they like to stay pretty committed to a game plan and being a big play team uh i do think we should involve them, like you know, maybe a little bit more in the possession game. Uh, ju- I, you know, I'd have to like go back and watch film to see if Justin Shorter is not getting open. But I have trouble believing that's the case. And I do think that probably Ricky Ronnie is getting a little more criticism than he deserves because he's got a first-year starting quarterback who he hasn't yet become the best version of himself. Like as great as he's been. He has flaws. Yeah. Yeah, I think I agree on, on most of that. As far as unleashing KJ, like, I kind of think we already are. Like, I mean, how, yeah, many exactly. times, how many times a game are we seeing him go deep? You know, I mean, a couple of, like, his first touchdown this game was incredibly reminiscent of, uh, I think it was the same route as the Purdue one, maybe. Um, you know, he's he's on the slot on the left side of the field. He runs basically a fade to the end zone, and Cliff just throws it up. Um it's a really nice route by KJ because, you know, he he makes the D-back look like he's going inside and just just kind of just bellies out to the outside. Cliff throws it to the corner of the end zone. It's a touchdown. We've seen that beautifully. Um, we saw the one at the end of the game this week, which was a, you know, 52-yard streak or whatever it was. 
Um, there was one deep one where he's missed them. He's missed them a couple times in other games on deep balls. So like, I don't necessarily see that as an unleashing. I think that's already part of the playbook, but but maybe you see it more. Um, I agree, but I think we use everyone as a, as a big play threat. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of our offense, right? Is we, we live yeah. and die by the big play. It's, it's been like that for a while. The problem is, you know, historically, we've been able to get by with that because we've had a good run game to complement it. And we'll flip to the running backs in just a minute here. Um, is Ricky Ronnie actually a good play caller? I still don't know. Like, I, I genuinely don't know. There are times where I look and I'm like, yes, he's getting it together. He's finally there. He's awesome. And then there are times I'm literally going, what the fuck are you thinking? Um, there was one in particular this game. We were up and, like, I forget exactly the situation, but it, I think it was the first and 10 call. And it, it was like a dump-off lazy screen to Slade, and he just got murdered behind the line. Whereas, like, we had run a very similar play very often previously. And it's just, it seems like we get so conservative and we lack that creativity where it's like, and, and conservative goes both ways where we get conservative of these like short screens or we just were like, well, we're just going to keep throwing the deep ball. And if that's not open, nothing else is, nothing else is going to work. So maybe conservative isn't the right word, but we get predictable. Um, so I, I don't know if he's a good play caller. I really don't. Um, I think predictable is a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it more than, I, I've probably been using conservative the wrong way. Um, do you think he's taking too much criticism? Yes. Yes. But no, like I, I don't, because that's what, that's what you are as a coach. You're getting paid a whole lot of money to coach and teach up and mold these kids. Like I get it. He's a first year, first year starter. Right. But like at the end of the day, that's what your job is. You know, we're seven games into the season. If he's still looking to one side of the field, completely eliminating, you know, that responsibility for defenses. I mean, defenses are keen on that. They're going to know like, Hey, he rarely throws to the X receiver. Let's not worry about that one as much. Right. Like you have to teach that. And yes, it goes both ways. Of course, Cliff needs to execute, but I don't know. I have I have an easier time putting the responsibility on the coach because I don't know. That's your job, you know. Yeah, I mean, there should be a little more responsibility on the forty-plus-year-old man who gets paid than the nineteen-year-old kid who works for free. Exactly. Exactly. Um, to Heather V, where Shorter and Kane have we been saving them for OSU? I hope not. I mean. I hope we start seeing them as early as next week. Hope we. I mean, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, or or hope so, right? Maybe maybe that's our plan, and they'll just. Both I hope go that off. I hope that's the reason they haven't been getting. Oh God, targets, yeah. Um, and then yeah, to the to the one about are they not getting open? I I doubt that. Like you look at shorter every time we do throw to him, he's again catches catches everything. You can see him get even if it's just the little bit of separation that third down conversion uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, you can you can see that he is a big-bodied prototypical receiver. We've seen Daniel George make some really nice plays. Like I, I have a hard time believing that both of them are just not getting open. Yeah, and I, I actually I thought that article by Black Shoe Diaries was really really good. Mm -hmm. uh, I, it it does seem the issue seems to be the progressions. Yeah, that uh, Clifford looks one way. Maybe takes a look at Fryermuth and then goes. Uh, but also, you know, a little, little bit to Ricky Ronnie here. You got to design and call some plays where shorter is the number one option. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and maybe he is, and we don't know it, but it doesn't seem very plausible. Yeah, and maybe maybe that's a concern where, like, even if there are plays where he's the the first progression, maybe 
maybe Cliff isn't isn't actually letting it play out, right? Maybe he's the first progression, but Cliff moves off the first progression too quickly because I don't know because he's scared of of getting hit or I don't not scared, but you know what I mean. Like it, it's got to be that level of of coaching them up to to show that. And again, I'm sure they're doing this. Yeah, about how much. What up? Sorry. I said we talk so much about how much we love like the relationship that Clifford and KJ have and the trust that they have, but it seems like he's got to develop that a little bit more with some of the other guys in the field. Yeah, exactly. Because again, I can't say this enough. Like having a weapon like KJ Hamler, bro, if, if he has a hundred catches a game, I'm going to be happy. But, but the point is like, eventually that runs out, right? You can't, you can't wear down that person so much. You can't expect defenses not to get keen on that. So yeah, I, uh, I'm sure this is happening in their meeting rooms. You know, we, we saw that peek behind the curtain in the HBO special of how Ronnie is with his teams. Like, I'm sure they're going through this. It's just, it's things that we hope start coming to fruition. Because because the, the biggest thing for me is like, we are seeing the potential of this offense. We know how good our defense is. We, we will talk about them in a minute, but we know how good they are. We're seeing the potential of this offense where like, some games, the running game rotation looks really good. Some games, everybody's getting involved. Some games, Clifford's running wild. Like, once those things all come together, like, you feel like this team could play with anyone in the country. Yeah, and one thing I, I like, I kind of want to point out here is I don't think these other guys have to start getting more receptions at the expense of getting KJ fewer receptions because he's not racking up incredible numbers of receptions. Mm -hmm. Like it seems like these other guys can get looks, targets, receptions at the expense of like a lot of the incompletions that Sean Clifford is throwing. Yeah, exactly. And, and going back to our original point on this, uh, at the expense or at the benefit of extending drives when you're only, yes. when your last six drives have three plays each, yeah, there's not opportunities to go around, right? And that's that's where I think a lot of it goes back on Ronnie of, hey, you need to craft and and develop a scheme that's going to allow your team to just eat up yardage and chunk chain over chain over chain when we're up big. Because if you keep just going three and out because you're trying, you know, you're trying what you think works when it's not and you're unwilling to change that, that's where that's where the problem comes in. So Let's move off of this one because we've talked about it a ton. Let's move next to the running back rotation. I have a ton of thoughts, but I'm going to let you go first because I'm rambling. What do you think? I'm officially over the running back rotation. Uh, I've been very patient with it. I've, uh, I've, even, I've even praised it at times. Uh, I've been understanding, but I think I'm officially done with it. And even after Ricky Slade had, unfortunately, his best performance of the year, I think we just need to be able to have a guy and it's been Noah Kane that can soften these defenses up late in the game, extend drives and keep us on the field. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, it almost sounds like, like you're in couples therapy. Like you're trying to, trying to, I am. listen, I've been I am in couples therapy with this running. I've been understanding. I've been patient, but I'm over it. Back rotation. <laughs> um, I've had enough of this shit. <laughs> Yeah, so I think we, we've gone through these progressions, right? At first, we were like, well, we don't know how this is going to work. And then the first two games, everybody runs wild. We're like, cool, we love this. This is amazing. Then eventually, we're like, no, we need we need the, like two guys at the top. I'm like, all right, Noah Kane's the guy. Like we've, we've gone on these progressions, and now it's back to just, I mean, you read these off. Kane, five carries for 19 yards. Journey, four carries for 19 yards. 
Slade, three carries for 48. Had that nice 40-yard run. It was awesome. Devin Ford, one carry for two yards. When your top running back is only getting five carries a game, that's a problem. Like, how do you all, expect all sudden, anyone to get in a rhythm? Yeah, all of a sudden, the running back rotation's not doing the dishes. They're leaving their <laughs> boxers on the bathroom floor. They're not hanging up towels. And let me tell you, I'm getting tired of it. I'm over it. I'm over it. I'm going to move out. Yeah. Soon. No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to move out. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, the leading rusher every game in carries seems to be Clifford. Um, you know, he had 11 carries for 17 yards. So, I think to to – Harp on the cliff piece uh, real quick is, you know, the RPO has to continue to get better, right? He pulls the ball a lot um, when maybe he could hand it off. Not so much this game, but historically. And, uh, you know, he does he does rush a lot when the pocket even slightly begins to break down. So there's some of that uh, on cliff because if you execute some of those better, that makes your offense better. But I put this entirely on the coaching staff. When you come into a game like this, and granted, Michigan's front seven is good. We know it's going to be hard to run on them. You have to. You owe it to your offense to see what one guy could do for you. Because the, the rhythm of one guy wearing down the defense opens up so much more of your offense. When you're constantly switching and these guys are all getting just two yards of carry, three yards of carry, like, again, it becomes incredibly predictable. Like, all we've heard is that they're comfortable using all four running backs because they know they can run the same plays with each one. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. Clearly, that's not the case. Like, when Noah's on the field, you run more effectively. It's simple. Like, I, I don't know how else to slice this. Yeah, and he's certainly been the best at creating something out of nothing. And when it seems like it's not there, he's at least getting three. When it seems like he can only get three, he gets seven. And he's just been the most impressive one. Yeah, and he's a hard-nosed downhill runner. Um, like, I don't know. Again, I love all these guys. I was so happy to see Ricky break one. That was incredible. Um, Journey continues to be just kind of doing his thing where he's going to get you three, four yards of carry. Um, but I think we have something special in Noah Kane, and I think you owe it to yourself, not even the fans. Like, you owe it to yourselves as an offense and as a team to say, hey, we're going to change things up a little bit. This guy is performing at clearly a higher level. He's going to get the first quarter. And we'll see how that goes. Or he's going to get the first half, and we'll see how that goes. And I get it. You don't want to test out things in, you know, big-time games. But, like, at some point, you have to see what your offense looks like and how that changes things. Because if, if a defense now has to respect that run a bit more because they know he can get five yards any time, guess what that does for your pass game? Like, opens things up. Yeah, and I'll tell you what I really want him in the game is in the fourth quarter. When he just seems to run through defenses and extend drives for us. Yeah, which is which is fine too. Like I'm I'm all on board with that, but I I'm I'm on the flip side. I think more. Like I want to see him start a game. I I also want to see him in the first quarter, but I'm saying I definitely want to see him in the fourth quarter. Yeah. So this game, he he didn't have a single carry in the first half. Like he was on the field for a couple of series, but there was no carries. Um, yeah. So it's 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 just it's perplexing to me that you have a guy that you've seen play so well and again it's no disrespect to the other guys like it's just it, you have to do this so let's read a couple of our twitter questions around the running backs here um let's see let's see there were a couple of them here uh jeffrey walzer jr not one carry in the entire first half for noah kane what the hell is going on uh heather v again where shorter and kane but saving the throw su i just really like that one so i'm gonna read it again um uh b e s 
at Gulfport Lawyer says, with so many highly rated running backs, can't we work on a dominant run game? It eats clock and wears down defense. And focus on slants. Everybody go deep on three, produces big plays, but doesn't seem like it should be 100% of the time. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't disagree with any of those things. Um, it's we, we do need to be get better at establishing the run. I don't like the fact that Sean Clifford has the most carries and most rushing yards on our team, I think. And, yeah, I mean, we need to be able to make plays that just, even when they don't end in scores, prolong drives. You know, I love the big plays, but, like, give me a drive every now and then. for At, at least when we're not, like, mowing down the defense, we're staying on the field. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's what we, again, I don't want to beat this to death, but I think that's what we need to see. So like you look on the season, Noah Kane, 329 yards, Sean Clifford, 269, Journey Brown, 252, Devin Ford, 217, Ricky Slade, 107. Like there's only so many carries to go around. And again, it's like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm overstating this because again, I'm, I'm not a coach, but like, I think establishing a rhythm for a running back is so damn important. Like I know committees happen in the NFL. I know committees happen everywhere, but not with four guys when you only run the ball 25 times. Like having 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 our our top guy get five carries is just mind-boggling to me. Yeah, I, I think a three man, a four-man platoon just seems like too much. You know, most NFL teams platoon running backs, and it's two guys, maybe three. And the fact of the matter is the NFL is a way more pass-happy league than college football is. Yeah, you, absolutely. You've you got to be able to stay on the field, extend drives, protect leads, and running the ball helps you do that. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think what, what scares me is, like, I don't know when we'll see that because you come up against Michigan State, who for as bad as they've been, quote-unquote, um, they still have a pretty strong defense. You know, they're only allowing about three yards a rush. Um, you know, do you wait, do you wait till you get to a Rutgers or who else do we have on the schedule? Indiana or someone like, I, I just feel like it's, we're at the point in the season where I, I, I don't have a whole lot of faith in the coaching staff to make this change, but I'm worried that it will be a downfall for us. Yeah, I, I agree with that. All right, well, let's move on. Cause I'm sick of being negative. Um, yes, let's flip to the defense <laughs> offense. Listen, we love you. We put up 28 points. We probably could have put up a whole lot more, but we got the win. There were some really big plays to be excited about. Moving on. Defense. Um, there's so much to talk about with this defense. Um, let's get the quote-unquote negative out of the way. Highest point total of the year. We, we, we gave up. Uh, gave up 21 points. We hadn't given up more than 13 previously, I believe. Uh, we allowed 3.4 yards per rush and three rushing touchdowns, which is much higher than our our uh, our standard. However, I will say we are still the number one rushing defense in the country at allowing 1.9 yards per game. So sure, be upset that we let up a little bit more, but this team was all over the rush. Um yeah, I mean, allowing three yards to carry is still pretty good, especially when that is seemingly the worst performance of the season. Yeah, like I said, our, our season-long average is 1.9. That's impeccable. Impeccable. Yeah. 
Um, defense faced 82 plays. So we talked about them being out on the field a lot. That's the second highest of the year. Buffalo, I think, was at like 90. Um, and they were just dinking and yeah. dunking all over the place. Um, we only had one sack. It was a Garrett Taylor blitz. Uh, we had three tackles for loss. Um, interception from Tariq Castro-Field was great. A uh, couple of goal line stands. One that resulted in a touchdown questionable. One that did not. Um, and then a bunch of fun stats. So we'll, we'll we'll chat through some of this. But what's your what are your thoughts and opinions on this defense? Yeah, I mean, I thought the defense was pretty pretty great, uh, especially in the first half. I, like dominant, despite not getting as many sacks as I was hoping to see. You know, you, you just you can't be upset with giving up seven points in the first half. And I also I'm not going to get upset at a defense that gives up. 14 points in the second half when they're just constantly being thrown back on the field after three and outs. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, it's, it's, it's one of those things that you look at the scoreboard and you're like, damn, man, we didn't play that well, but no, we, we really did like this one, this for it being close to the end of the game is, is not the defense's fault to me. It's on the offense for not extending that lead. Um, let's talk about the goal line stands for, for a bit. So there was the one um, that actually unfortunately did turn into a touchdown. You alluded to it at the top of the show. Uh, where Shea Patterson did the little QB sneak. What was going through your mind when they called that one a touchdown? I mean, I didn't think he made it in. Um, but the unfortunate thing was when you look at like a play like that, where it's just in a big mosh, that's never getting overturned. Like As soon as they decided to review it, I was like, yeah, no, no shot you're overturning this. You can't. But it looked like he came up short. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what I thought too. Obviously, it's tough to tell while you're in the stadium, but you know they show some replays on the on the scoreboard. Um, I was kind of shocked they called it a touchdown on the field, um, and maybe this is just my Me ignorance. Too. But when it is a pile like that, do they like are what are they supposed to like dig everybody out and then see where it is, or are they supposed to try to make a call based on you know what they saw from while the play was still happening? Because like he called he called the touchdown before they dug the pile up, right? Yeah, I mean, I think they're supposed to call it based on the forward progress, right? Which looked like it stopped. Yeah, yeah, like that's almost obviously short of the goal line, right? And that's kind of what I thought too. So it was it was surprising me that he called it a touchdown initially. Uh, once they dug the pile up, of course he's over because underneath the pile you're just squirming forward the whole time. Um, but then you go back to the review, like I, there's no way to tell. So I was I was kind of shocked. I think they in my opinion, it shouldn't have been called a touchdown on the field because there was no clear view of him crossing, and then replay would have upheld that. So I think the defense played really, really well um, to hold them to that. Uh, just unfortunate that that he got in. Yeah, and I mean, it wasn't, like, so egregious that I can... It's like, it wasn't this, like, incredible blown call. Right. It's just the fact that I think Michigan got handed a bit of a gift, and it was a big call. Yeah, agreed. It, it, it's not, I wouldn't even put it in the same league as the Pat Fryerbooth overturn from uh, from last week when it was clearly a touchdown. Um, just disappointing to see it go that way. Uh, yeah. To look at the second goal line stand, so end of the game, uh, they have to go for it again on fourth down. Um, Patterson slings it in to, I think the kid's name is Ronnie Bell, I think. Um, That's correct. He he drops it, man. Um I think Lamont. I think Lamont was right there. I don't know if he actually made any sort of play on the ball. I think you know, obviously heard the footsteps, but defense plays strong enough, and, and we kind of survived that one too. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Lamont did a good job. He What he did was he put pressure on him, mm-hmm. like kind of made his presence known, but he did not knock the ball out of Ronnie Bell's hands. I think he just did a good job of making it difficult for him to catch the ball. Yeah, agreed. Um, but overall, I think the defense did really well. We have one one Twitter question here about the defense. Let me jump into that. Um, we'll, we'll get a little negative before we go back to positives. Uh, Bob Bonner, Coach Bonner 15, says safeties backpedaling to 25 yards off the line of scrimmage on third and 10 and leaving huge swaths of space in front like a prevent. Um, and this was something I saw a lot of people talking about and, and even I kind of noticed is give some credit to Josh Gaddis on the Michigan, Michigan offense because in the second half, it, it did seem like they had a really, really good plan of attack of taking those short and medium routes, taking what we were giving them and just constantly driving the ball. Yeah, uh, they did. And, you know, under Brent Pry, when we're not like completely dominant, like piling up sacks left and right, Penn State does play a bend, don't break defense. Yeah, but they didn't get the red zone stops that we usually get. Like, we weren't forcing field goals. We weren't forcing as many turnovers as would be bending and not breaking. Yeah, and, and definitely is worrisome. Like, it, it's it's one of those things that, hey, if, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah, that's until it breaks, though, right? <laughs> like, um, yeah. you know, we, we've seen we've seen some close calls in, in the past, and we've seen some losses in the past that have come from that sort of mentality. So, again, I don't want to harp on this one too much because, you know, there is a lot of positives to take away. But but to, to Bob Bonner, thanks for, for writing in. I completely agree with you. I think I think for as good as Brent Pry is, and I do think he's really good, Um I think that's one thing we definitely want to see a little bit tighter as in these second halves, we talk a lot, a lot, a lot about, you know, Franklin not being able to close out a game on the offense by not, you know, converting those, those third downs by not extending, um, you know, the offense to, to keep the ball away from the defense, but same thing. Like there, there are times where we get up and, and we look a little soft on defense. Um, I've talked about it in some of the other games this, this season where we just, it looks like we're playing more, of a soft zone and allowing them to kind of do whatever they want underneath against teams like Ohio state against teams like hey, even Minnesota playing really good this year. Like you have to think about, will that be, you know, an Achilles heel that ends up getting us. All right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not, the defense isn't something I'm worried about, but I agree that I would like to see just play more aggressively late in the game. Yeah, so let, let's flip to the positive because I do want this to be a positive show. We won. We're number six in the country. The defense is amazing. Um, Tariq Castro-Fields grabs his third career interception, second of the season, uh, and he also tied a career high with eight tackles. Um, I loved that interception. Uh, it looked like a little screen pass, and he just he just absolutely jumped it. Um, he seems to be a guy that we've, we've given him some flack as well for some, some coverage uh, gaps here and there. Overall, he's just a really good corner, and I, I love when he's on. Yeah, I mean, I think our DBs are pretty great. Uh, I do think they need to work on their ball skills a little bit, just in terms of like pinpointing where the ball is coming, especially on deep routes, and getting hands in there. But they cover tremendously. You know, like they're letting up too many plays where they're in great position and wide receivers make plays, but they, you know, that can only happen so many times a game, and the fact of the matter is, they're they seem to always be in your correct position on the receiver. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Garrett Taylor mentioned earlier had a had a sack. That was actually the first sack of his career. So shout out Garrett Taylor. Love Ooh. that. 
Um, Shaka Tony, career best seven tackles. His uh, previous career high was six at Indiana last year when he had those four sacks. Uh, and then Cam Brown also tied his career high for the third time with ten tackles. A um, couple more here, and I'm, I'm reading straight from Chris Peterson right now. This is not original content. Sorry. <laughs> um, Rob Windsor, four tackles. That gives him 101 for his career. So shout out, breaking that 100 Very nice. milestone. And then Lamont Wade. Um, I do want to spend a minute here just because, again, we've we've talked a couple couple times the last few weeks about Lamont Wade and how he is, he is doing so well. Uh, he had a career-high two pass breakups, um, including a key breakup on Michigan's last fourth down attempt. Eh. I don't know if I'd give that a breakup, but sure. <laughs> but yeah, I think in general, Lamont Wade, he's a guy that I always, I, he's like always my number two choice for, for Lion. Um, he's always like right there. Uh, I am so happy this guy decided to stay, man. You talk about last year or even what was it earlier this year, he goes into the transfer portal. A lot of, a lot of things start swirling around. Um, he decides to stay, puts the work in. We talk about this safety rotation, how he might not even be a starter. And, and he has just taken control of that role, and I'm I'm so happy for him. Yeah, I mean he's been tremendous this season. He's been an absolute animal in the field. I've loved watching him. He's aggressive. He's smart. Uh, he's not getting out of position. He's been just better than we could have ever expected. Yeah, and uh, there's somebody had a tweet. I don't remember who it was. I'm sorry, but somebody had a tweet uh, or even a video of. Uh, him standing on the field pre-game, just kind of taking it all in, looking around in the stadium. Um, and, and the person who tweeted says he does this before every game where he's like, you know, the last one to go to back to the locker room. He stays, stands on the field, looks around, kind of just takes in the atmosphere. And, and it just, it, it's something cool to show you like how much it means to him. Um, he has a young son who he tweets about a little bit, uh, uh, a lot, uh, Roman. Um, he talks about how he's doing this for his family, how he's doing this, you know, from where he came from it's just it's just a really feel-good story to see him again as a, a five-star recruit top kid in pennsylvania you know he's he's had some challenges to see him finally getting it all together it's just is awesome so I, I know i'm saying the same thing over and over but lamont i love you man yeah i it's been i I'm, i couldn't be happier about just how how he's been this season yeah uh, so that wraps up the defense. Like I said, overall, um, I, I don't, I don't really have anything negative to say. They were on the field a ton against, again, Michigan's best offensive performance of the year, in my opinion. Um, they had a good game plan. They executed, and for the most part, we did what we needed to. All right, so let's wrap up with some special teams, real quick. Um, nothing too crazy, but a couple of notes here. Uh, Blake Gillikin um, had his eighth career punt of sixty or more yards. So he had that big uh, sixty-one yarder, which is very nice. Four of his punts were inside the 20, and two of them were actually inside of the 10. Um, so for as, as much as we were punting, nice to see him continuing that streak. Um, I was reading earlier on um, the rugby-style punting. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Uh, it seems like we don't do it all the time, but just we kind of pick random spots to do it almost. Yeah, I actually I, I don't think I've really noticed it at all this season. And, and now that I read about it, I don't remember where I read it. Um, but I, I definitely notice it now. And the article was talking, maybe it was an Audrey Snyder article um, on The Athletic. It was talking about how Joe Lorig basically said that when the wedge, you know, the three blockers that, that block for him, when that starts to break down, you have to do something else to kind of extend the pocket. Um, and Gilligan has, has a great answer. He goes, yeah, you know, that's what was asked of me, and I'm going to do whatever my team asked of me. But 
it is very uncomfortable. He's like, you know, I've been a traditional punter. I've never really done it, so I'm going to keep working at it. But, yeah, it's definitely a little uncomfortable. So interesting to me that, you know, you would you would change your punter style rather than change your protection. But I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I'm generally not a fan of the rugby punt. Uh, but I, I don't mind the way we do it where it seems like it's kind of the second option. Like if there's any chance of it getting blocked, then he – audibles out i'm pretty i'm pretty okay with that yeah so i don't know just a little tidbit to uh to think about um other note on special teams dan chisna chisena i still don't know how to say his name i know it's on the depth chart but we'll go with chisna uh notched his first two tackles chisena two first tackles of his career on special teams tracking down speedy michigan returner donovan people jones for losses on two separate returns that one i did notice in game and that was awesome Hell yeah, especially for a receiver, you know. The not guy is well known to make tackles. Yeah, but exactly. man, can that kid run. Yeah, he's he is so fast. And uh, you know, we've seen some good really, really talented return men in, in history. Um, Big Ten just typically has some good guys like that. Uh, and Donovan Peoples Jones is one of them. So to see uh to see Gisana go down there and make those plays, pretty awesome. Uh and then the last thing on special teams, uh KJ Howler's return for a touchdown that wasn't. Oh, killed me. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, it would have killed Michigan is, is the worst part. Yeah, because it was what? It was right after half, I think. Yeah. And it, uh, it would have just been so good. Yeah, it was beautiful. I, I didn't see the holding call. I, I went back and watched it. I still don't really see it. Um, it also would have helped my season long prediction. That would have been the first of five. I would have felt better about it. <laughs> um, uh, but it was encouraging to see that, hey, we do have that in our toolkit. Um, it is possible to happen. You know, this is not a glitch in Madden where you can never just return one. Um, so it sucks that it got called back, but but pretty cool to see it happen. Yeah, and uh, one other note that I have for special teams is I'd actually like to stop seeing KJ Hamler returning punts. Yeah, I've been on that train for a while. What's uh, what's your thinking on it? Uh, it just he hasn't been that successful at it, and it seems like we're just overusing him at this point. You know, how how many times is this kid going to get hit? before it starts kind of wearing on him. And it, it seems just at this point, it seems like it's, if you just balance out the risk reward, mm -hmm. he's not been that good at it. And it's a pretty big risk. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think I've talked about this one on, on the show before. I'm like, I know he's a weapon and we have to use him. I want, I want him at kick returner. I want someone else at punt returner just because we have so many options. Like, get one of your speedy running backs in there. Get one of your receivers that maybe isn't playing as much. Um, hell, John Reed used to return punts for us. Like, there are so, so many options. Um, and, yeah, I think I think you're exactly right with the risk-reward. Uh, and also, I think I think most teams try to find a way to not let him return it, right? We've seen the squib kicks. We've seen the super high kicks. Like, a lot of times they take that option out of his hands. Throw someone else back there. I'm on board with that. Yeah. All right, well, this is a bit of a longer episode, but um, lots to talk about. Let's let's wrap it up. Penn State is 7-0. and oh. We are number six in the country, even though the AP doesn't matter and the college football playoffs supersede it, but we are number six in the country, and things are good in Happy Valley right now. Uh, we head to East Lansing for a game against Michigan State next week, uh, and then we have another bye. So we got to get through this damn Michigan State team because they are so pesky. And have beaten us a couple times in a row. We'll do a full preview later in the week. Um, 
But I think this second bye comes at a really good time too, right? Because we get through this Michigan State team um, and then we're able to address some of those things that, that we just talked about on this episode. So like I mentioned, of course, we're going to call out the things that we want to see improve, but this is not in any way, shape, or form negative. This is all love. This is support because we love this damn team. Pat, any last words? Uh, yeah, 7-0. Uh, our, our bet for uh, Big Ten champs looking pretty good right now. Getting there. And uh, did, did we lay a bet on the uh, win total as well or no? I don't believe so. I think we did just uh, just the Big Ten champ win. Yeah. Because that would be looking real good right now. Yeah, you'd you'd love that. So uh, this is this is what this is the problem with gambling, people. I laid a bet. I laid a bet this weekend for it was a parlay. Penn State minus eight over what was it forty five forty six. It was it was a considerable amount of money, more than I normally bet. It was uh, after I had some some adult sodas and would have been a very nice payout. So gambling is uh, it's tough, kids, but. Make the right bets. Listen to us because we'll get better as we go forward. Uh, and yeah, Big Ten Championship, man. We got a couple of tough games left. It's not a cakewalk by any means, um, but but the path is there. You know, we're, we're seeing some really great things from this team, and, and the path is there. So thanks, everyone, for listening. As always, we appreciate you guys. Um, you know, give us a follow. Twitter, Instagram, leave a review on iTunes if you're compelled to. Um, and and thanks, for, thanks for interacting with us. We are.